0: Matthew chapter number 14 tonight, I want to preach a message that I hope will help you. I believe uh, most of us can identify with what's taking place in this passage of Scripture. Look with me at verse number 22 of the book of Matthew chapter number 14. The Bible says in straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, boy, I like that word immediately. Aren't you thankful we've got an immediately kind of God? Whenever we need Him, truly need Him, not just when we think we need Him, but when we truly need Him, He's an immediately kind of God. And immediately Jesus stretched forth His hand and caught Him, and said unto Him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and all of its blessings, Lord. Thank you for this day and your goodness and how you've watched over us. We pray particularly for those that are in need tonight, Lord. You know the needs and you know the heart's needs of those both that are here and that aren't able to be here. And Father, I just pray that tonight you'd meet those needs. Now Lord, we need your presence in the service tonight. That's what we covet. Lord, we don't just want a good sermon. We don't just want a good altar call. We don't just want good singing. But, oh, Lord, give us Your presence tonight in a mighty way. We thank You for all that You've done all that You will do. Touch each heart according to their need. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question before we get started tonight. How many of you have had something in your life that you would say this was a storm that I went through? Would you slip your hand up if there's been something in your life? That's what I thought. We've had a pretty universal experience shown to us in these few verses. But we find that there's something unique about these verses, something different than the other occasions when the disciples were caught out on life's seas and encountered a storm. We find that uh, this particular narrative focuses in a definitive way upon the life of Peter the Apostle. I don't say Saint Peter because he's no more saint than you or I, but of Peter... The Apostle, And probably if you were to take the Lord out of the Gospels, I know we can't do that tonight, I'm not trying to suggest we do, but if we were to take someone other than our Lord uh, as the focus of the Gospels, we might say they were the Gospels of Peter, because Peter seems to be at the forefront of all of the Gospels, and uh, the narrative of his life is dealt with in a very prominent way. And so it's no surprise as we read this small ensemble of verses that uh, we find Peter at the forefront once again. And as we focus on Peter's life tonight, I'm I'm drawn to this idea, and it's different than the title I gave to Brother Nick back there, but he'll just have to forgive me. I tell you, no one needs grace more than a sound man, amen? they got to put up with the preacher and all his problems. Uh, but I'd like to just present this thought to you tonight. Are they storms... Or are they stepping stones? We all encounter things in our life. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we knew there'd never be another storm? Wouldn't it be wonderful? And I, and I thank God in heaven, there'll come a day when we'll have that assurance, don't you? But as long as we're robed in flesh, as long as we walk in time and not in eternity, uh, we can never have the assurance that there won't be another storm somewhere around the corner. It's been said before quite often, uh, but it's true nonetheless. Isn't it funny? You can say something true as many times as you want. It don't ever become untrue. Amen. And it's been said before, and I believe it's still true, that really, in a sense, every one of us is either coming out of a storm or heading into a storm or in the middle of a storm. We all deal with these things in our life. The disciples, the Bible tells us, are out upon the sea. And I'm interested in a little word that's used. And I want us first off to notice that this was a storm of purpose. Now that's very important. If you're marking it down, I want you to take special note of that, because look what it says that our Lord did in verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Isn't it encouraging tonight that as we read this passage, we find that they were there on direct orders of our Lord and Savior. Can I tell you tonight that just because you find yourself in a storm, that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Now, there's no question you get out of the will of God and you can wind up in some storms. We see that in Jonah's life. Before he ever had the whale, he had the wind. Before he ever had the fish that had been prepared, he was dealing with the storm around him. And sometimes God will use a storm in our life when we're out of His will to drive us upon the rock of ages to anchor our soul. There's no question. But we find in this passage, they were in the will of God. Isn't it encouragement to know that we can know the will of God? We may not be able to know all of the will of God for our entire life. In fact, I know very few people that would even make that claim. We don't know what tomorrow may hold, and we're commanded not to boast ourselves of tomorrow. But I'm thankful we have a God that's not distant from us. And, and as we need to know His will, He makes His will known. And we can walk in His will. But don't be fooled for one second in thinking just because you're serving God, just because you're doing the will of God, just because you're in a good Bible-believing church, just because you're reading your Bible, just because you're praying, just because you're involved in the ministry, that storms won't come because they will. There's gonna be times in your life that a storm's gonna blindside you. You know, and I kinda of think the disciples may have sat there and looked at each other and said, you know, reckon why our Lord sent us out knowing a storm was coming. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Why did God put me through this knowing how difficult it was gonna be? I mean, that's a human question tonight. I suppose we're all human beings here, is that right? <laughs> I I suppose we're all human, and that's a human question. Why would God allow this, knowing what it would be? Job asked that same question. Job cried out to God. Job's greatest trial that he went through was not understanding the will of God. You'll find that was his chiefest complaint. He didn't complain about the bulls. He didn't complain about the children. He didn't complain about the riches being lost. But Job's chief complaint was that here he was trying to serve God, and he gets blindsided by a trial. But understand that as you serve God, there's going to be trials. And I I think there's two main reasons that we get trials in our life. And you can just make a mental note of this. I think one of them, and really I think both of these things are true in and of the same. I think they're simultaneously so in the very nature of the storms that come our way when we're serving God. And one of them is they're designed. The devil's trying to trip us up. The devil's trying to stop us. I was talking to someone about camp. And uh, I've got two years of camp under my belt, now three. And it's interesting to note the things that people watch and look for with a week of camp. Those of you that have had experience with camp, you know that while every camp is unique and in- individual, every year of camp is different... There are certain things that take place and there's a certain pattern that seems to go uh, every week. Mo- most of the time, uh, if I was to ask you, which nights does a service typically break on? Most of our camp workers would probably say either Thursday or Friday. And it seems as though most years when it just really gets thick and God really shows up, it's always Thursdays and Fridays. That's a consistency in, in most years of camp. And so there's certain things that you watch for. And uh, I was remarking to someone, you know, I'm I'm to the place now where I'm not as much watching the campers in their reaction and I'm not as much watching the workers in their reaction. Now, listen to this. This will rattle your brain. I'm not even as much watching what the Lord is doing. But I'm to the place right now where when camp rolls around, I start watching what the devil's doing. Some of you know what I mean? And you can see it when God is doing a work. It's not long. It may not wake a lot of Christians up, but it sure gets the devil's attention. He's aware and you can see it time and time again. It's not just so with camp, with VBS, with any endeavor with your life as you begin to serve God. You'll find when you start to make headway for the will of God that the devil has something to say about it. And he does everything he can to try to stop you. It riles him up. It upsets him to know that we're serving God and doing something. Hey, listen, I'll tell you two places. There's a lot of places in this world that may not be aware of what happened last week. I promise you the White House don't know about 14 souls saved last week. I I promise you the denominational headquarters don't care a lick about the 14 souls that we had saved last week. I promise you there's a lot of churches in Knoxville, Tennessee, big churches and little churches alike, that that, that don't give a rip about 14 souls being saved. But let me remind you, church, that heaven and hell care about what happened last week. They both stood up and took notice. They're both aware of what's taking place. I think the storms that we encounter, I think the devil's trying to put a stop to us. But I think there's a second reason that encourages me tonight. I think they're for the glory of God. I think that the devil has a purpose in it, but I think God has a purpose in it. I mean, we find that it was the Lord that had sent them out into the midst of this storm. It was the Lord that had put them on that ship. And let me say it was the Lord that had stepped back and removed himself from their immediate presence. I'm trying to think of of a proper way to say this. The Lord is always present in our life. You understand? The Lord is always present in our life. We never have to worry about Him leaving us or forsaking us. And hallelujah for that. Isn't it wonderful to know the Lord's always with us? But let me give you a short illustration. We have the relationship with God of father and child, don't we? He's our father, our heavenly father. We've been born again into the family of God. Let me ask you something, parents. Do you think it would be healthy if for your entire child's life you were always within their immediate line of vision? Do you think that'd be healthy or do they need to learn how to walk knowing that your presence is not far? Do they need to learn how to function, understanding that they have some responsibilities and they have a walk to maintain, but knowing that mama and daddy, they're there if they're needed? I'm not talking about getting away from the presence of God. I'm not talking about living daily, uh, unconscious of the presence of God. That's not what I'm saying tonight. But but I'm interested in, in Psalms 132. The psalmist writes, and, and uh, David makes this statement. He said, I have quieted myself and behaved myself as a weaned child. Some of you know, and I don't know, they may call us cruel for doing this now, but some of you remember, uh, mothers, when you were weaning a child, that what you'd have to do with that child is you'd have to lay them down into a crib and walk away. And they'd begin to cry, and they'd begin to cry, and they'd begin to cry. And everything within a mother's heart wants to run swiftly back to that bedside. They were never out of your sight, but you had to be out of their sight. And they had to come to a place where they understood that even when they couldn't see you, You were still present as part of the weaning process. We find that such is the case in their life in this storm. Christ removed himself from their presence. I kind of think, and I don't know, the Bible says Christ was alone in the mountain and I, I have no doubt that he was alone in the mountain. But I think probably up on that mountaintop, he at any time could have looked down and seen that little ship tossed to and fro. They couldn't see the Lord, but the Lord could always see them. Now, this is what I want you to get tonight. We go through times in our life and storms in our life when it seems like God's not within a hundred miles of us. And if you haven't been through it, you just wait because it's coming. Don't try to act super spiritual tonight. You just wait because it's coming. There'll be times in your life when you'll pray to a holy God that you have a covenant relationship with by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you'll pray. The Lord hears, but it just don't feel like He heard. It just doesn't seem like He heard. Do you understand me tonight? Jesus was there. He was present. He was aware. But he was out of their line of sight. They could not see the Lord. That's part of the storms that we go through. They're out on the ship. And I want you to look with me. It says in verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Isn't it interesting? Let me just draw a quick parallel tonight. You know what our Lord is doing right now? And you listen, don't be too theological with me, okay? You know what I mean when I say this. Do you know that our Lord went up into a mountain to pray? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He sitteth at the right hand of the Father. He's still present in our life, you understand. But physically, bodily, our Lord is present in the person of the Holy Ghost. But He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so in a sense, every storm we go through, boy, wouldn't it be comforting if the Lord would literally part heaven and walk down. And I don't mean spiritually, I mean literally. If the Lord would part heaven and walk down and sit right down beside us and hold our hand and say, it's going to be okay. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the truth of the matter is He doesn't. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us that comforts us and guides us and convicts us. And that's the presence of God within our life in a perpetual sense. But the Lord bodily is not going to do that. He's gone up into a mountain apart to pray, if I could put it that way. So we find a parallel to the Christian walk today. But look what it says. It goes on. It says, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Now, I want you to notice this for the wind was contrary. That tells me something about this storm, the contrary wind. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat when the wind was whipping up pretty good. And, uh, I remember me and brother Kerry went rock fishing. That's not rock and roll fishing, okay? That's rock fishing. I don't know if you're familiar with how rock fishing is done. Uh, it's, it's, it, I call it kamikaze fishing, okay? You get in a little John, you can do it with anything, but we got in his little John boat. His John boat is about the size of one of them offering plates, okay? And, and it's got a motor that runs off a watch battery. And we get in this thing, we go up to, down to Fort Loudon Dam. and y'all been there, Fort Loudon, got the big lock beside it and everything? And I don't know what this is about, you understand? I mean, Kerry said, let's go rockfish. And I said, okay. I said, how big a rockfish? He said, that big. I said, let's do it. Let's go. I didn't need to know anything else. I should have asked. Cause we get there and, and, and we, we get the boat loaded and we're going up through the, through the, uh, you know, from the ramp and going up. And I said, that's the dam up there. He said, yeah. I said, it looks like the turbines are on. He said, yeah. I said, how's this going to work? He said, you'll see. The way rock fishing works is there's big turbines. They kick on at, at, at a hydroelectric dam. And those rockfish sit at the bottom of those turbines, you see. And as the water is churned out, smaller fish are brought right into their path. And so these rockfish, they lay at the bottom there and they just wait. And they just lay their mouth mouth open and fish just shovel into their mouth and they eat them. And that's how they get the size of like a VW beetle, you know. I mean, they just, they get huge. They don't do anything. And so I said, what are we going to do? He said, "Okay, this is how it's going to work. And I saw other boats doing it. And I thought, I hope that's not what we're about to do. He said, yeah, we're going to do that. When you're rock fishing, you open that motor wide up. I mean, wide open. Go hard as you can at those turbines till you're on top of them. You cast over the turbine and then you let the current just float you back. There was a few times I thought we were going to meet Jesus that day. I'm dead serious about that. We started taking water on. amen. But something that's interesting, you know, I could get out there and I could try to paddle and make my way there. That wouldn't do any good. And it, I, I, I could get out there and really his, his little motor almost wouldn't even get us there. You understand, we got we about got ran over several times. We were in a place where the water was contrary to us. We find that the disciples were in a place where the wind, and because the wind was, the water was, was contrary to them. There wasn't a thing they could do to change their circumstance. There's storms we go through in life that, tries we may, we can't, we can't fix them. We can't change them. We find the wind being, hey, at least we could have floated downstream. We find with them, with the wind being contrary, they couldn't even just sit in one place and float down They were in a situation that was unhelpable. They were in a hopeless situation that night upon the sea. That's the situation God put them in. Far be it from us, Christians, to shake our fist at a holy God and say, Lord, you don't know what you're doing in my life. I don't know where, and I guess we got it from the health and wealth preachers, but somewhere along the line, we've got this in our head, that being a born-again Christian means never facing difficulty. That being a born-again Christian means having total control when it's the exact opposite. Being a born-again Christian is having no control and being in God's control. It's not self-control, it's spiritual control. We find in this situation that they were hopeless. I like what the, (laughs) I like what verse number 25 says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. You say, why in the fourth watch? Because the third watch wasn't time second watch, it wasn't time. The first watch, it wasn't time. You know God's on a timetable, but it's His timetable? Not our timetable. That upsets a lot of people, and I understand that. It upsets the flesh. There ain't a single one. How many of you, your pet peeve is being late? Slip your hand up. Can't stand it, amen? So the others of you are the ones making them late, amen? (laughs) You know, we don't get to set God's timetable. That's him. He makes that timetable. He makes those decisions. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. Now notice what it says, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. We see a storm of purpose, but we see the steps of Peter. I want to say several things about this in rapid succession. So please listen carefully. There's about three things that I see about this storm that had a positive effect. And, you know, most of the time, if we'll pay attention to the storms in our life, we'll see that they have a positive effect for the glory of God and for the good of the person involved. Most of you could look back over your life and think of things that seemed like a real mess at the time and look back and say, glory to God that it happened that way. Because if it hadn't happened that way, I wouldn't be where I am now. I want you to notice a few things. I want you to notice that first off, it took the storm for Christ to show up in a special way. Christ showed up in the midst of the storm. You know, sometimes it takes a storm to get us to the place where we really want Him to show up. We don't hear any complaints from the disciples when our Lord said, I'm going away into a mountaintop to pray. Now you say, well, that's not unusual, preacher. He was the Lord. They obeyed Him. Yeah, about as much as we do today. And we find usually that when our Lord was going somewhere, the heart's cry of the disciples was always, Lord, take me with you. Let me go with you. But it took the storm this time to give them a real desire for the presence of God. I think about Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Most of us are familiar with the book of Habakkuk because of the revival themes in it. Lord, will thou not revive thy work in the midst of the years? Revive thy work. But if you study the book of Habakkuk, it's not as much about national revival or ecclesiastical revival as the book of Habakkuk is about personal revival. And you'll find something interesting as you start in the book of Habakkuk and you read in chapter number one, Habakkuk is very, very critical of the circumstances around him and consequently critical of God. He's looking around and all these famous revival verses that we're all familiar with, uh, Habakkuk, what he's really saying is, Lord, how come you aren't doing more? Lord, how come you aren't showing up? God, how come you're allowing them to blaspheme your name? How come you're allowing them to sin and to commit iniquity? Lord, why aren't you doing something? We find in verse number, chapter number two, that Habakkuk goes into a very dark time and he begins to do a lot of soul searching. The Lord didn't show up like Habakkuk expected him to. But if you go to chapter number three in the book of Habakkuk, you'll, you'll find, interestingly enough, that Habakkuk is no longer looking for God to do a great work. At this point, because God's been gone for so long, Habakkuk is just looking for the Lord. Can I tell you tonight, there's a difference between looking for the blessings of the Lord and looking for the Lord of the blessings. There's a difference between coming to the house of God. You remember uh, Jacob, when he came back to Bethel, you know what he called it? He called it, he had first called it Bethel, house of God. But after all of the circuitous years that he had walked, after all the trials, after all the difficulties, he came back and you know what he called it? He said, El Bethel. And he said, I have known the God of the house of God. Big difference between loving the house of God and loving the God of the house of God. Big difference between loving the Word of God and loving the God of the Word. Can I propose to you tonight that I believe sometimes God steps out of our view and lets a storm in so that we'll get our heart's conditioned to a place where He can show up in a big way. We talked about prayer a lot. I believe that prayer... Now, and I don't misunderstand me. I appreciate all the hard work. I appreciate all the sacrifice of the workers and, and of everybody and the financial sacrifice that a lot of you made, even if you couldn't come up and work. So I'm not trying to minimize that. But can I say that I believe that the reason God showed up in a big way at camp this past year was because of the prayers. I believe the prayer meeting made a difference. And I believe not just that Friday night of prayer, but, but all of the prayers that God's people offered for that camp week. I believe that made a big difference. And we've talked about the value and importance of prayer. The key to prayer is this. We're praying to an unchangeable God. Do you understand that? The Bible says that God does not change. I am the God of Israel. I change not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is an unchangeable God. So what good does prayer do? And I'm not a Calvinist. I believe the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe prayer changes things. I don't want you to mistake me in thinking that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that in the least. I believe prayer is valuable. I believe it changes things. I believe there's 14 souls headed to heaven because of prayer. So don't misunderstand me. But God has a desire to work in our lives. God has a desire. The problem is we're not always in the place where He can work. God wants to bless us, but when we have sin in our life, and let me say, sometimes God blesses us even when our life ain't what it ought to be, but God wants to bless us in a particular way. But when we have sin in our lives and He blesses us, how many of you, you uh, you uh whipped your kids when they did the right thing and you bought them ice cream when they did the wrong thing? Any of you? Any of you? How many of you, when your kid told a lie, you gave them a quarter? Any of you? No, you see, you understood that you can't condone and you can't bless bad punishment or else they'll never learn how to do right. God's the same way in our lives. God has a desire to bless us. God has a desire to move in a mighty way. God has a desire in the fourth watch of the night to show up in our life in a particular way. But sometimes if the storm doesn't come, our heart can't be in the place where he can show up. Just can't be. We see that the Lord showed up and He came walking on the seas. Don't care what your problem is, God's got it under control. Been said before. An old songwriter wrote about it. I, I was listening to the McCainies, I guess, the other day, was singing about it under His feet. The waves may be over your head, but they're under His feet. Hallelujah for a God in heaven that has got our problems under His control, even when we don't. We find that the Lord came walking on the sea. And I find something interesting. I want you to notice that the storm provided an opportunity for Peter to step out to the Lord. In fact, we find that the very storm that was threatening him became the stepping stones to a closer walk with Christ. What are you using those storms for in your life? What are you using them for? Are are you one of these that you just float around and get dashed against the rocks and come out of the other side and say, well, thank the Lord for protecting me? Or are you using it as an opportunity to walk closer to the Lord? Is it, hey, when those storms come, does that drive you to your prayer closet? Or does it drive you to complaining? When the storms come in our life, does that, does that drive us to God's Word to seek an answer and a comfort for the soul? Or does that drive us just to discouragement and we put our Bible away and say, I'll read it on some other day? The very waves that could have overturned their boat and crushed them. The very waves that could have done them in became the stepping stones for Peter to walk out of the ship and walk closer to God. If those waves hadn't been there, Peter wouldn't have wanted to do it. If the waves hadn't been there, Peter wouldn't have had anything to walk upon. The storms in your life can be stepping stones to walking closer to God. But you have to use them as thus. I don't know how many men were in the boat, but let's just say, because it makes sense, Ralph, that there was 11 other men in the boat. We might assume all 12 disciples were in there. We don't know. There was 11 other men that stayed in the boat. We get awful critical of Peter, because I know, and I think I said this the other day. You know, I know if we were disciples, we wouldn't make half the mistakes they made. Am I right? Amen. You know, we, we just read it. And we wouldn't do that. Cause we're smarter than that. We're more spiritual. Why, you silly, you'd make twice as many mistakes, you'd botch it so bad, he wouldn't even know what to do. I would too. We get awful judgmental of Peter, but you know what? He got out of the boat. He got out of the boat. Peter didn't just wait for the storm to blow over, but he took it as an active opportunity to walk closer to God. We ought to do the same thing. How hey, you dealing with sickness? Use it as an opportunity to trust in the Lord pray and to, to lean upon him dealing with financial difficulties use it as an opportunity to walk to the ocean side and look for fish to grab out of the water watch god provide the money you need out of his mouth you're going through trials in your life emotional discouragement in your life use it as an opportunity to anchor yourself to the rock of ages and to finding god's word the comfort that you need there's two types of Christians in this. Well, there's three types, but you don't see a lot of the third type. Third type is people that just go on and serve God no matter the circumstances, but, uh, we all fall short in that. And you find that there's typically two types of Christians in this world. You find that there's fair weather and foul weather Christians. There's fair weather Christians. If everything's going good, they're serving God. If everything's going good, they're serving God. I mean, they're, they're on it, buddy. If the bills are being paid, if the car's running right, if they got a clean bill of health, if everything's in good shape, they're opportunistic. They're casual Christians. They'll serve God. But the second that a storm comes by, they disappear. And then there's more of these really than I think there are the other ones, and I think we're all guilty of this a little bit. There's foul weather Christians. If everything's going good, they've done forgot about God. If everything's gone good, they, you see, they use God like a spare tire. They keep him in the trunk. When they have a blowout, then they then they go and grab God and get Him to help them. But most of the time, He just rides unnoticed in the back of their vehicle. Most of the time, God is not even given a thought. But when things go bad, then they need a Savior. Now, we're all guilty of both of those, I'd say. But let me just say that when it comes to difficulties and trials in your life, don't be afraid to walk closer to God as a result of them. Don't let him paralyze you. don't stay in the boat. Say Lord, this is an opportunity for me to walk with you. I want you to notice the third thing that I find very interesting. I hadn't thought about this till today either. You know, I preach from this passage and there's certain kind of thoughts that are in in your mental reserve. My tank's about empty, amen, but you know there's certain things you think about, but I never thought about this before, Ralph. What was it Peter was really wanting to do? Was he wanting to get to the Lord? I think I was part of it, but I don't think that was the primary thing. He could have stayed in the boat and finally got to the Lord. You know what he wanted to do? Listen carefully to this. He wanted to walk on the water like Jesus walked on the water. He found an opportunity to be more Christ-like. He found an opportunity to step out and say, I'm going to be a testimony to others. There's another account where They're sent out, and the Bible says explicitly that there were other little ships with them. It's a very similar account. It's a different account, but it's very similar in that Christ calms the storm, and we've read it many times. But I've always been interested in those little ships. Who was on those little ships? Who was just a a few yards away, watching as the Savior stood up, raised his hand, calmed the sea? Who was watching? As our Savior exerted His power as Creator over the circumstances, who was watching when the disciples said, Lord, cares thou not that we perish? You see, there's people watching you in your storm. People watching you. Some of you, every one of you is the best Christian somebody knows. There's somebody in your life that when they think of Christianity, they identify it with you. Boy, that's, that's heavy. I mean, that's, that's scary, neighbor, but that's the truth. Maybe one person, maybe a hundred person or a thousand people, I don't know. But I promise you that every single one of us, there's someone in our life that when they think of a Christian, they think of you. And they're watching how you handle your storms. They're watching what you're doing. Peter said, this is an opportunity for me to walk a little bit like my Lord walks. This is an opportunity not just for me to walk closer to Him, but for me to be an example. The Bible says uh, at the end of this passage that when the others saw it, they glorified the Lord. They glorified Jesus and they said that truly He's the Son of God. I kind of don't believe they would have thought that if they hadn't seen Peter walking out to Him. Your walk affects others in the storm. We see the storm of purpose. We see the steps of Peter. But I want you to see the Savior's power. Uh, The Bible goes on. I like this, man. I, I just like it when God shows up. Look what it says in verse number 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I want you to notice that the Lord had power to show up immediately had power to show up immediately. God has the ability to change your circumstances like this. Immediately. Immediately. He had power to show up, but notice he had power to save. I like what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah. The Lord's hand is not shortened. it cannot save. Now, I understand that has to do with uh, with uh, our iniquities. and I understand there's a special understanding of that with salvation. But neighbor, I believe that's true of everything in our life. Not only is the Lord able to show up, but He's able to show up and to save you. There's not a thing you're going through, and I and, and listen, I, I'm I'm young, you know that, Ralph. I'm young. I always talk to Ralph. It's because you sit right here. I'm young. I know that, I, and I know I've not been through. I mean, a, a tenth of the things some of you've been through. I understand that. And I'm not saying I've been through the ringer, and I'm not saying I've been through things you, that, that are bigger than anything you've been through. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying every time in my life, I've never had a problem the Lord couldn't solve. We're doing, We're going simple tonight, okay? I've never had a problem the Lord couldn't solve. I've never had a difficulty that God couldn't come through. I've never had a bill he couldn't pay. I've never had a sickness he couldn't dispel. I've never had a discouragement that he couldn't uplift. Didn't matter what it was in my life. God could always show up. And He could always show up on time. We see that Peter took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the waves and I've not even touched on it because you've heard it so many times and you know you get your eyes on the waves instead of on the Lord. That's when you begin to sink. But we find that there was a point of failure with Peter. But there was no point of failure with the Lord. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how easy it is or how tough it is. I don't know how encouraged you are, and I don't know how discouraged you are. But I know a Savior that does. And I know a Savior that no matter what you're going through, He's aware of it. He's aware of your need, and He's aware of what the, what kind of touch from heaven that you need. And He's able to give you that. But I want you to show, show you something else. The Lord could show up immediately. The Bible says that after He had lifted Peter out of the water... O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The Bible says that it calmed the sea, that the storm dissipated. I told you before it was a storm of purpose. That storm hung around. You know how long it hung around? Long enough and not too long. Only our God can do that. You know why the storm dissipated? There's probably a lot of reasons. But I think I know of just one at least. Peter had learned the lesson he needed to learn. You know, it does not joy God to put us in difficult situations. God is not a sadistic God. I don't know why we think He is sometimes. God puts us in difficult situations, but never without purpose. We find that when the storm had served its purpose, it dissipated. It dissipated. I think it'd do us all a lot of good, and I don't mean to be judgmental, far be it from me, because I don't know what is going on in your heart and life. But I know for my life, when there's a storm that won't go away, you know what it encourages me to do? It encourages me to pray to the God of heaven and say, Lord, is there a lesson I haven't learned yet? Is there something I haven't got a hold of yet, God. Is there something that I just haven't grasped? God, is there something I haven't listened to? Is there something you're doing in my life that I've just not seen it yet? When Peter learned his lesson, the storm disp- that doesn't mean that your storm is gonna go away if you go to an altar. It doesn't mean if you pray and, and wave a white flag or surrender and say, oh God of heaven, just help me tonight. That doesn't mean your storm's gonna go away. What it means is this, that God's not going to put you through anything except what's for your good and His glory. He's not going to... Neighbor, I am convinced that not one raindrop fell that wasn't needed for the glory of God that night. And I'm convinced that not one second passes in your storm but what God is doing something in your life and in my life. Tonight, the storms that you go through, are they are they just storms? Are they sinking you or are they stepping stones? Is it an obstacle to prevent you from a walk with God or an opportunity for you to step out and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And God help help me to use these difficulties as a stepping stone, as a bridge to walk closer to you and to walk more like you in front of those that are watching.